0: hey everybody this is shane and sally um just want to point out we recorded this episode well in advance of the pandemic um so you're not going to hear any references to it which might sound weird in this like kind of post-apocalyptic time um yeah, just that's why uh we are currently social distancing and are safe as far as we know so we're hoping that Same thing is true for you. Um, You know, we're all trying to do the best we can, take care of each other. Uh, Hopefully, this brings you a little bit of happiness.
1: Thanks for listening. You're listening to Co-op Mood, a casually serious conversation about playing video games.
0: This is episode two: War is Hell of a Good Time.
1: All right, let's do this. I'm Sally. You can find me on Twitter at Sally T. And
0: I'm Shane. You can find me on Twitter at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous.
1: So Shane, we're going to talk about some dark and intense stuff in a second. But before we do that, let's talk about something less dark and intense in a different way, which is that there is such a thing as a Nintendo PlayStation. Do you... I am...
0: I am so lost by this. <laughs> like, it's clearly it plays SNES cartridges and has Sony branding and PlayStation stuff. What is this? Who made this?
1: I. So. Let me just say that until I read an article on Engadget by Richard Lawler about how bidding for the Nintendo PlayStation prototype is already over $200,000. And by the way, as of us recording this right now, it's up to Mm -hmm. $300,000. I had never heard of this thing. Uh, I've read as much text as I possibly could uh, to try to understand this. So I guess in 1992, Sony and Nintendo uh created a prototype and we're going to make one mega console that played Nintendo carts and uh CD-ROMs and the the controller looks like a Super NES controller but with PlayStation logos.
0: Right. And it I mean it plays, right? Like it plays at least SNES games. I don't know if it plays PlayStation as well.
1: I don't I don't know either. Um it is working. It is allegedly one of a very few prototypes that was made in the first place. And the auction description says that it is that it is thought to be the only prototype that still exists. So I guess the others were lost or destroyed. I'm not really sure. But yeah. uh, this auction is going to be up for another... If I'm understanding... Oh, it ends in two weeks and it's at $300,000.
0: Yeah, so the... The couple things that are weird about this, one is the owner claims to have turned down a $1.2 million bid, mm-hmm. which begs the question, Sally, as an eccentric billionaire, which of course you are, sure, would you spend $1.2 million on this?
1: Um, well, the, the question, I'm going to answer that question with a question, which is how much money do you have to have for, for example, $300,000 or $1.2 million to feel like 50 bucks.
0: I, yeah, a billion dollars, right? A billion. I mean, that's mean, that's the answer. It's, it's absurd. And in fact, the, the winning bid is uh, held currently, I think, by one of the founders of Oculus, mm-hmm. the VR platform. Right. So, you know, who got bought out for like $8 billion by Facebook.
1: So this is so, literal pocket change for him. I guess. This is like, yeah, this is like when... You reach into your pocket and you have a nickel, a dime and three pennies and you put it on a surface and you're like, this doesn't represent a meaningful amount of money. So I'm just going to put it here for right now. That's what this is.
0: What I'm definitely not doing with that money is paying my taxes. So cool.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. I mean, if I was an eccentric, I think I wouldn't even have to be an eccentric billionaire. If I was an eccentric millionaire, I would probably buy this um, just because it's cool and weird. but I see no other scenario in which I would invest. I'm trying to think of like what is this much money to be now? Probably like a thousand dollars.
0: You would spend a thousand dollars on this prototype if you could.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that like, I think that like a thousand dollars is my three hundred thousand dollars. Does that make sense?
0: Got it. Got like it. Like the-, the the thing that like if it was if it really motivated you, you could spend it without worrying too much about exactly like but it would have to bring happiness
1: exactly and it would have to be like super one-of-a-kind super valuable super rare and something that i had like tremendous sentimental value and i guess if you're if you're like a hardcore nintendo slash playstation person Uh it doesn't get more sentimental than this
0: i see i i was at this point i was a sega genesis kid so uh, and I didn't have a PlayStation either. I had a. I, I jumped in at PlayStation Two, so this just misses me entirely.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was a. Um, I was a Nintendo kid, but at this point, we also had a Genesis, so I. I'm not. I'm also not in the running for the nostalgia factor.
0: Okay. Well, I would rather have the new mug that you got, uh, which has the old school PlayStation controller on it.
1: Yeah, it's a. It's a pretty sweet ass mug. The handle is a whole ass. Uh, original playstation controller it's extremely satisfying to hold slash also a little bit difficult to hold
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it looks a little uncomfortable, but that would scratch my nos- my nostalgia a little better than this crazy prototype yeah exactly and for like twelve bucks <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for a
1: mere twelve bucks let's keep our eye on this because it is my hope that this will get exorbitantly more expensive. I would love if someone ends up just dropping like a half a million dollar bid and going from there.
0: Yeah, and then I hope they get run over by a city bus. Indeed. All right, let's talk about now what are we playing uh this week, these past couple weeks, Sally.
1: Okay. So, I my way of playing video games is to start something, really really like it, then get this itch that I have to play something different. And then that over and over and over again. So I'm playing a few different things. I'm playing Mass Effect for the first time, which is the uh, much much lauded, critically acclaimed outer space RPG. Um, I've I've heard of it. It's a Bioware. <laughs> does game, it ring huh? a bell? Yeah. Um, so
0: maybe I've heard people argue over sure,
1: it. Sure. Here and there. Um, <clears throat> I I have to say that a lot of times in RPGs when there's a ton of lore, I end up absorbing 60% of it and then letting 40% of it sort of float through my transom. Um, So I I did this with The Witcher, uh, with Witcher 3, where I, I broadly understood what Geralt was trying to do. And I had a handle on like why I was doing some of the side quests. But the world is really deep and there's just so much lore that I just, at a certain point I stopped being able to really wrap my mind around what was going on. So I was, I just like let go of it. I was like, whatever, Mm -hmm. skip this dialogue. Um, Mass Effect, interestingly it has a ton of lore. Like the universe is really, there's just a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm really into it and I'm paying very close attention to it. Um, there's all kinds of alien races and planets um with names that are very difficult to remember and pronounce and uh-huh. <laughs> and they're all sticking i there's something about the way the story is unfolding where it it doesn't feel like a lore dump except it is so very much a lore dump like every conversation is just like a ton of exposition but it's just it's really good it's really well written it's really interesting um It's clunky as hell. I don't know if it felt clunky in 2007 when it came out, but it certainly feels clunky now. Um, There's like a fair amount of like, you know, you have companions. And so it's like you have to manage their armor and their weapons and stuff. But it's pretty straightforward. Um, And usually that can get a little overwhelming, but I'm actually finding it okay.
0: And you're playing on Xbox, right? Yeah.
1: So I'm playing on – I'm using Game Pass, um, which I've been trying to – I keep telling myself I'm going to cancel Game Pass after I, um, play a bunch of like older games that I've never played before, uh, because I mm-hmm. really prefer PlayStation 4 in general, but Game Pass is kind of unbeatable. Um, sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's just too many free games that are worth playing on there.
1: So many free games. Um, and then really quickly, I'll mention that I'm also playing Slay the Spire, which I was telling you about, um, it's like a deck building roguelike, um it's really fun. It's incredibly simple to learn. And I have a hard time picking up new systems. So if I'm saying it's simple, it's very simple, but also like deep, like you can do a lot of cool stuff. It's fun. It's interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. It's going to keep my attention. And then I'm also playing a mobile game called Over the Alps, which I really, really, really don't like Playing games on my phone so it's very rare that I do but this is a really fun just like point and click uh like choose your own adventure told through um like your character sending postcards to a contact and it's like a spy story and I'm in a I'm in a spy moment right now so okay so which I'll get I'll talk about later so I'm really into it so those are all of the games I'm trying to divide my time between Shane I've been talking for a while what are you playing
0: so I am still playing The Witcher Three. Uh, I have moved on from the core game, which I haven't finished. Uh, I think I still got like the final act of the the main story. Okay. Um, but I have moved on to the expansions. So I'm like, I don't know, 90 hours into this game. Nice. Uh, I finished Hearts of Stone, which I loved. Like the main story for that expansion was fantastic. Uh, I have started um, Blood and Wine, which Uh, I I am told I end up with a vineyard, so I'm very excited about that. And it's just like it just, you know, in the way that you say you can't like hold all that lore in your head, Mm -hmm. like to some degree, I can't either, even with The Witcher. Um, But what I am finding is that all these little stories are so heartfelt mm. right and like I just like I go down these little paths and I just want to know what happens next like I want to meet the next character like I want to solve this problem I want to like go to this next place and figure out kind of like what is the twist that's waiting for me oh, um, that's such a good just, feeling like, it's yeah it like it's really really engaging and it's just in a way that other games have not captured me recently mm-hmm. and so I'm the boring person who's still playing the Witcher which is still very very old
1: I love it though I love that like I, I have such a hard time getting into something and playing only that, because um, I usually start to get a little like hungry to play other stuff. But
0: I, I'm there, I'm there, but I'm just like, <laughs> I, I, no, I, I'm not, I'm not walking away from this one. I need to get there. You know, how
1: many hours do you think you have left between the main, the main game, and then the DLC?
0: It's, it's sure shaping up to look like about 120 hours total. Uh, so I've probably got about 30 hours left that I'm going to end up putting into Witcher 3.
1: And do you feel like you're playing on the spectrum of speed run to completionist? Where are you on that spectrum?
0: Uh, I'm probably like 75% complete. Okay. Because um, I'm, I'm skipping some side quests that I suspect don't go deep, but I'm trying to get all the major side quests. Nice. Um, and I've spent a lot of time playing Gwent
1: That is so I understand.
0: Um, And then I am also playing a mobile game, Backgammon, uh, because my wife has taken to liking it. Uh, Some friends introduced her to it, and so we are trying to learn Backgammon. So I am spending my mobile time playing that old
1: classic. That's so old-timey of you. I love it. I saw that in the show doc, and I was like... Are we now just talking about like anything we're playing, even if it's not a video game? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's a mobile game.
1: That's awesome. Um, I really like Backgammon. Uh, I am not good at it. It actually requires like a fair amount of strategy, especially with respect to betting that I just could never mm-hmm. really like wrap my mind around.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm also not good at it, but I'm just trying to learn.
1: Nice. I love it. Okay, well, enough fun and games, Shane. Let's go into our our hearts of darkness Okay. and talk about war. Can you tell us what we're going to be talking about?
0: Yeah, so uh, we're talking about war in video games um, or the war genre in video games. And, and we're talking about this topic because this was on our like kind of long list of things that we thought we might have an interesting thing to talk about and you were like look i know you play the war game so like can you kind of lead this topic and i was like yes uh and then as i sat down to think through what i would say or or what was interesting about this i realized that i have played a lot of war games uh but i've never played a game about war Mm. Um, in a weird way, right? Like the, the war genre in video games is very, very different from the war genre in pretty much every other medium. Um, you know, in the sense of, if, if you think of like, you know, you're saving private Ryan or your band of brothers or your black company, or, um, I, I'm trying to think of something that's like a sci-fi, like, you know, even like a, a Warhammer 40 K mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, like the media around that is very much about glory and valor and honor and sacrifice and, you know, sort of the, um, the, the bitter challenge of war or the human cost of war or the, um, all of those terrible elements. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then, and then sort of contrasting with the bravery and, and like sort of the transcendence that's required of a person to, to continue and, and, what they sacrifice of their humanity in order to continue doing this. And a lot of times the senselessness of that, um, never see that in video games, right? (laughs) Right? Like they use war as the aesthetic, right? Like, cool. We have guns. We shoot people or cool. I have swords. I stab people. But like, that's not the subject. I don't learn anything about the war. There's no, like, you know, I I grew up playing command and conquer, which is a game about directing army men forward, uh, in real time to go kill other army men. And like, I didn't learn anything about war. (laughs) Like, it didn't tell me anything about it. Like, so I, I, as I as we got into this, I was like, I I don't even know what to talk about here, right? Like, wh- there are no war video mm-hmm. games, you know, out of maybe a few grand strategy games that kind of talk about the logistical aspect of sure. it. Um, and, and some of the strategic aspects of it, but not really the story aspect of war.
1: Yeah, and war, the genre, is like not one that I've really been interested in until pretty recently. I think actually it was probably playing Band of Blades in the Don't Split the Podcast and Total Party Thrill live stream of, of the role-playing game Band of Blades that you gm Um Where the, I remember like when I was looking into the game, like after you guys asked me to join, I was like, all right, let me check out this game. It was called Band of Blades. And it was like, described as dark military fantasy and I was like whoa like I don't really want to be in some weird butch like war porn like role-playing game like I don't think this is for me and then I looked more at the game and I was like oh this is very sad this is about trauma and loyalty and sacrifice and all Mm -hmm. these things and then I read Black Company um just the first book because I wanted to kind of understand the genre a little bit more, understand Band of Blades a little bit more. Um, it's just a, it's just like, it's a whole world that I just am not, uh, I've never spent much time in. And that led me to getting interested in s- some video games that we'll talk about in a second. But I have to say that um, when we were having this conversation, I was trying to figure out what games I could play that would be about war. And I I, I was like Googling video games about war. And what I was coming back with were all of the things that you're describing. Um, and I, I started to play Gears 5, which I heard the campaign was really good and really compelling. I started to play it. I did the tutorial and I did the prologue. And I was getting a sense that like the story is about like trauma caused by war and like the generational trauma that war can cause and and I I mentioned that to you and you said you asked me um, do you get to make any choices what choices do you make because we mm-hmm. you we were kind of having this back and forth about like is there such a thing as a game that's about war rather than like a game that is using a war aesthetic and I was trying to argue like I think this game is about war and your question which by the way I can't answer because I stopped playing that game after the prologue (laughs) but um, (laughs) your question do you get to make a choice I feel is like essentially it's the thing that I've been thinking about as I've been playing through the two games I'm going to talk about which is Spec Ops The Line and This War of Mine because it is like Absolutely the central question in different ways in both of those games. And in many ways, I think um, kind of like the essential question in in any game that's trying to be about war is like, you're the main character. What are the choices you're making and how are they affecting other people? Right,
0: right. So I think this is probably a good time for a content warning. Yes. um, Because this is obviously a, a difficult subject for uh, a lot of people who are military families or or from places that have been sort of ravaged by by the reality here so um there will be violence uh trauma probably um i don't know other bad topics that we'll have to cover here
1: yeah i'm um, definitely going to mention specifically suicide um and like violence specific to wartime, both in terms mm-hmm. of like soldiers and civilians. So just uh, keep that in mind.
0: Sure. Um, and yeah, so like the, and, and I don't have an answer for Gears of War 5 either because um, I haven't I haven't actually played any of the Gears of War series. So it, it's possible that, that that is just an easy exception, but like kind of where I was coming from is more on the like the major war game franchise, mm-hmm. right? Like the the FPS specifically of like, your Medal of Honor or your Call of Duty or your Battlefield, right? Where in every episode of the series, you are some group of soldiers uh, fighting some other group of soldiers. And and like, to me, like, it's fun. Like, I enjoy the FPS as a genre, but like, at the end of the day, it's kind of like jingoistic gun porn, (laughs) you know, like you are a superhero who is effectively immune to bullets and the cost of every action that you take. And you mow down crowds of NPCs who, you know, happen to be wearing the wrong color palette. Sure. Um, And like the message that I always take away from that is like war and soldiers are fucking awesome. (laughs) Um, Which, which just tells me like nobody I know who's a veteran, nobody who served combat duty comes back and says that right nobody (laughs) who's a
1: civilian during a war
0: (laughs) right (laughs) so where is there such a disconnect um and it struck me so i looked something up in preparation for this uh chris kyle the american sniper um right who had the the whole movie about him and everything okay um he had 150 confirmed kills in four tours of duty in iraq that is the prologue of any call of duty game Right, like you will easily kill 150 people in the first chapter of any of those games.
1: That is shocking,
0: right? And like, so the like you can't call it, however realistic the the mechanics of Mm -hmm. it might be. You can't call the the story or the gameplay even hyper realistic, right? It's it's parody. It's absurd. Um, and so that's like the stuff that like kind of drew me into this topic and made me a little frustrated as we were talking about it, of like this isn't, this is nothing. Yeah, totally. (laughs) This is, this is a superhero game, right? Uh, And, and because it's an American patch on the shoulder, I'm supposed to feel good about that, um, which is just a weird feeling.
1: It's a weird feeling. And you said something that I was also thinking about for a while about it, how it's like your superheroes playing Galaga. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So I don't, I don't know what's the difference between Galaga and uh, call of duty. Other than like, you know, the story element wrapping the gameplay, but you still mow down anonymous bad guys that move in patterns, right? It's still just a shooting gallery. Um, there's no more story to it, to me, and no more commentary about the state of of that situation than Galaga has, which is these things are bad for obvious reasons because they're moving towards you and you die if you don't shoot them. Mm-hmm. You know, like that that's your motivation right there. You die if you don't.
1: Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, I was sort of surprised when we started talking about this and I started like googling around um that there's just I mean it I, I mean our editor Lucas was like have you played Spec Ops the Line because he saw us having this conversation in Discord mm-hmm. we were going back and forth and I was like there's got to be war games that have that do something meaningful and interesting and you know you were like listen like it's kind of about being a superhero playing Galaga um and I have to say my as like a total noob to the genre it does kind of with like very few exceptions feel like it's superheroes playing galaga
0: well let's talk about spec ops so okay so the two games you 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 did kind of preview this like the two games we want to talk about are this war of mine uh which i have not played and um i i know the publisher or the developer um is also the one from frostpunk Mm -hmm. which i love so I, I get their style. I know what to expect there. I can read the reviews and know that that's going to be a good game. But Spec Ops: The Line, I think, was much more controversial, um, and I have not, I have not yet played that either. But I, I want to hear like kind of your experience with that because it it fascinates me that that is a game that definitely had a message, um, and. and you know but still had all those trappings as well so i'm i'm curious how that
1: worked for you yeah it's really interesting like this game um i'm still kind of trying to figure it out there's a lot of like by the way let me just say that i'm going to spoil the shit out of this game so if you're hoping to not be spoiled probably don't listen for a little while um because the the game it's it's not just like a straight up like linear story there's a question of whether or not everything that happened was just a dream or a hallucination. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, all right, let me just back up and say that it's a third-person cover shooter. Basically, what you're doing is picking up different weapons and shooting guns. You're killing NPCs. You have two squad mates um, who you can, like, order around. You can tell them when to shoot someone or to throw a grenade. And the, the plot of the game is that Six months ago, um, Dubai suffered cataclysmic sandstorms that absolutely devastated the city. Um, And tons of people died, including American soldiers who were sent to evacuate the city. So when you arrive in the city, you're um, Captain Walker, voiced by... My prince, Nolan North.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, so they got A talent. Yep, <laughs> <have> A <AAA> talent. <laughs>
1: you and your two uh, Delta recon team buds, uh, Adams and Lugo, are meant to locate the survivors and radio to be evacuated. Um, however, once they get into Dubai, they realize that the situation there is much different and much more dangerous than they thought. And your character, Walker, basically makes a bunch of choices to pursue, to find this guy, Colonel John Conrad, who your character served with previously um, in Kabul. And Captain Walker, your character, thinks that Colonel John Conrad is like a, a war hero. In fact, as you play the game, you learn that he is considered like one of the greatest um, like uh, American Military officer since General Patton, which oh okay is a big deal. I, lo-
0: I love that standard. It's it's him and uh uh the guy from The Rock,
1: exactly. <laughs> so basically. First of all, the game is like six or seven hours long. Shout out to games that are only six or seven hours long.
0: I know. I love that We wouldn't have been able to cover it if it was any longer. So that that's great. Yeah,
1: definitely not. So that was a delight. The other thing is like shout out to games where all you do is shoot guns and get in cover and occasionally pick something up and you don't have to go through menus and like manage inventory and like assign <laughs> skill points. I was so delighted to have all of that work, like not even part of the equation. So the deal with this game is that... um what you realize by the end of the game, and I think probably a more astute player would have realized this much sooner than I did, is that you are sort of falling apart mentally, your character, Captain Walker, uh, as time goes on. And but where by the end of the game, it's like really not clear what is a hallucination and what is not, to the point where it's not really clear, like if anything in the game really ever happened. Um, okay. And I... Did I noticed that things were getting really bad, um, for sure. So basically, what happens is, is as you get deeper into Dubai and you sort of lose your grip on this central mission, you're confronted with these choices that you have to make. And there the choices are you can make a bad choice or a worse choice. There's there's no good choice. Mm-hmm. Whatever you choose sends your character um, f- sort of further into like psychological peril and decline. And the thing that's really interesting about the choices and the way they're presented is that you really don't even realize that you're being presented with a choice. Like I was telling you and Lucas that I, I accidentally, I thought I was in a cut scene and I pressed the left trigger. I wasn't in a cut scene. And in oh. fact, I, like, I raised my weapon um, and – oops, I made a choice. Um, and some real bad things happened because of that. But so it's, it's not like, you know, the game doesn't pause and say like, what do you want to do? It's like, you're sort of making the decision in the moment,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, which puts a fair amount of pressure on you. Uh, and it's hard because there really aren't any good choices. And the fact that the, the, the making of the choices is so seamlessly integrated into the gameplay. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's so much more realistic. Like this is so much more lo- what war is like because I've never been in a war. Um, but I do think that the developers are, were making a conscious choice to, like to
0: to be more immersive, maybe to be
1: immer- more immersive and to not allow you to like step out of the game to think through what you were doing. Okay. Um so let me just mention like a couple of other ways that the game is sort of if you're paying attention you'll you'll notice that things are really falling apart for your character. First of all, the opening menu music is the Jimi Hendrix version of the Star Spangled Banner, which is like a heavily distorted version. It's essentially a protest song Th- right. that is playing and what you see is like a tattered American flag. So you're immediately like, okay, shit might get really real. But, you know, at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, I, I was thinking like this could just be some like macho military imagery. So let's see what's up. So the game starts and you see the credits, um, you know, people who made the game, people who are in the game. And the last credit you see is guest starring and then you see your ex- – I was playing on Xbox Game Pass. So you, I saw guest starring my Xbox screen name, my handle. And I was like, oh, sure. cool. Okay. Interesting. Um, then – so you know how loading screens will often have tips for a game? Yeah. Um, especially I noticed in Last of Us, like as a side note, that when I died in a really, really stupid way – the loading screen tip would be like to escape clickers. Try hiding you. Ding dong. Like they were yeah, like,
0: <laughs> or or it's like uh, to listen to clickers. Hold L two.
1: Yeah, it was like let me let me help you try to play this game better. So right. in Spec Ops the Line, the loading screens um, start out with gameplay tips, but as they as you get further along in the game and you you and your the two dudes you're with become increasingly more uh, battered and dirty you have injuries like it's you know in a lot of games you get like shot and you're super bloody and then like a second later you're like fine again yeah. you get increasingly more beat up so by the end you you really look like you've like been through it similarly the loading screens will say stuff like um the u s. military does not condone the killing of unarmed combatants, but this isn't real, so why should you care? Another one is, do you feel like a hero yet? Another one is cognitive dissonance is an uncomfortable feeling caused by holding two conflicting ideas simultaneously.
0: Oh, okay, so they're they're lampshading it for you.
1: they're lampshading <laughs> the shit out of it for you, and what's really interesting is that, like when I finish so so I think at one point, you know, like any other red-blooded American who is always looking at their phone. As soon as there was a loading screen, I like just looked away and started doing something else and looked at my phone, looked at Twitter or something. So I remember like looking down and then looking back up to see if the game had loaded and seeing this like image of like Adams, who's one who's the one of your NPC like compatriots. He's mm-hmm. all bloody. There's like Dubai in the background and like a flock of birds. And it says, can you even remember why you came here? And I was like, whoa, okay. Like the last loading screen was like press B to get into cover, you know?
0: Yeah. So I pointed this out when you sent me this this picture because you took a picture of this. Did I? Uh, it was impactful. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay. Uh, I pointed out that those birds look like they're flying out of his forehead, sort of like uh, he'd been shot in the head.
1: Shit.
0: Like, I, I that was a striking image. It was. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wasn't playing the game. And I kind of like, understood what was going on there. So that was Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah,
1: no, I know. <laughs> I mean, I was like, Okay, you have my attention. Um, And so like, by the end of the game, I was like, Okay, so is this? Is this a game about like war? Or is this a game about playing video games about war? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because it it is challenging you throughout to, you know, there's a bunch of choices where you like, you try to choose between saving a civilian or saving this important military guy. There's, um, there's a scene where you're forced to choose to kill a soldier or kill a civilian, um, and so you 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 are not, it's like the opposite of those games that you were talking about where you're kind of always thinking about how many lives you're taking because the other thing is that you're only taking the lives of other American soldiers. Like you're you get to Dubai and you realize that this the 33rd battalion, I hope it's battalion and not regiment. Um yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> they're f- they're fictional anyway. Exactly. They they have um, they, they've imposed martial law, um, and they're being uh just like abusive, and they're like terrorizing the civilians, and so you're fighting them, but y- but you're killing your you know they're you, uh, you know they're your brothers in arms kind of a deal. Um, right. Right.
0: And then you- I, mean, I mean, this is yeah. this is very Hearts of Darkness uh, or sorry, Heart of Darkness. Hearts of Darkness is the making of Apocalypse Now. But like this is very like Apocalypse Now. Right. I, I mean, the guy's name is John Conrad. Right. Yeah. It's very clearly a homage. So uh, totally getting the idea that like because they've been here in Dubai, like they are no longer themselves. And, and it's kind of making you question, is it them who's changed or is it me? You know, totally. It, is what I'm kind of gathering.
1: Yeah, from. 100%. And like Walker um it's it was really interesting to not realize the extent to which he was unraveling um because like, you know, there's this scene where you know, you you don't have a choice. You do this horrible thing. You ju- you dump a bunch of white phosphorus and you don't realize that the you're dropping it on a bunch of civilians. And Mm -hmm. it's a big turning point in the game where um, you're – the guys you're with, your two Delta dudes, are starting to kind of freak out. And they're like, you know, this guy, Conrad, he's turning us into killers. What are we doing? And you see your character kind of stop and like survey everything and – Take it all in, and the imagery is really fucking hellish. Like the the things that you see in this game are like pretty fucking real. He takes it all in, and then he's like, "Okay, we have to keep going." And in that moment, I was like, "Wait, why is this guy not more fucked up over what he did?" And then I was like, "Well, okay, like, but he's really fucked up over it. But he has to finish his mission. He has to press on." So you you right. like you like take on the mindset kind of sure, um, and you know i it's it's one of those games where i'm definitely going to replay because i there's so much to notice as you're playing that i i wasn't really picking up on um i've read a bunch about it after and people have like grand unified theories of what is really happening in this game like i said it's like some people think that um captain walker is dead kind of the whole time except for the very opening scene other people think that um it's a hallucination it's it's just like not very clear but there's just a lot there and and the developers are doing this thing where they're they're making you think not just about war but they're making you think about like the way you play war video games
0: yeah so what's interesting to me about this as well is that like you don't really have a choice in a lot of these situations that you're put into right like you 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 have permutations of choice but like ultimately you're on the rails towards the same decline um uh, you know and it's it's bad or, or worse right and like but it still has a message <laughs> right totally. which i think is is so much of what's missing i think from like when i talk about the like the galaga model mm-hmm. right uh the call of duty because like i think of um have you heard of the level from call of duty modern warfare 2 that was very infamous back in 2009 uh called no russian Mm-mm. okay so this was this was the one that like set off a bunch of you know oh my god games are terrible because you play a russian terrorist who is walking through an airport and murdering civilians um and like the game doesn't force you to actually pull the trigger but like you're walking with a you know a handful of other russian terrorists and they're going to mow them down uh and you cannot attack them and prevent this like you have to at best walk through um and then it You know, you are a CIA agent who is undercover in this terrorist cell, and then at the end of it, you are assassinated by the leader who is leaving you there to set this up as, you know, the Americans have killed all these civilians in a Russian airport, and they're trying to set off a war between the U.S. and Russia. Mm. Um, It's called No Russian because the instruction you get before it starts is, remember, no Russian. Um, So it looks like the Americans did it. Gotcha. um and so you have to you have to sit here through first person right and it was very clearly a marketing stunt um no one i think who is associated with the game has done any great job of defending its artistic value mm-hmm. um but like that is the to me that is like the artless flip side of of kind of that decline right of like making you think why am i doing this um you know like feeling the weight and immersion of those choices whereas like call of duty presented it and is like hey here's the cool thing you get to do with the next call of duty is you get to mow down civilians totally. <laughs> it's so controversial edgy um you know in a game that is ultimately again about like i don't know saving the world from world war three or right. whatever you know <laughs> yeah. I, what is the plot you know um so it just strikes me as like having played that game and and kind of gone through it and like not greatly internalizing it or anything because i don't internalize any of that stuff right but just kind of seeing it being like okay i mean this is actually not that much fun of a level as i'm just on a a walkabout mm-hmm. you know and then i get assassinated at the end cool um to to kind of you, the experience you had where like you you know were forced to release uh white phosphorus on civilians and like you felt that choice mm-hmm. Uh, even if as your character and you struggled with how your character was dealing with that choice, right? Like, I think that's a, like just such a big contrast for, for what I'm kind of saying about the aesthetic versus the subject.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I play a lot of games where you just kill people. Like I don't really play first person shooters, although I do, I have played a bunch of far cry games. Um, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first person, the, of the first person, exactly. Um, You shoot – I mean, almost everything you do in that game is mowing down people. I love the Splinter Cell games. You're mowing down people. Uncharted. Like, weirdly, Nathan Drake is like a bloodthirsty monster who just like kills a bunch of people. And they're not even like Nazis or – you know what I mean? Like, they're not even like part of like some weird cult – like some weird cult that wants to brainwash people and make them do drugs like in Far Cry.
0: Yeah, they're like – you know, drug dealers in Cartagena or something that you stole sp- stuff from, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, you like you're the dick in the first place.
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah. So, but I play those games and I like I mow those dudes down and I think about like you know like when it's cool. It's cool when like the gunplay is like snappy and like the cover works really well or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and Spec Ops: The Line is definitely the first time. I've played a game and shot a bunch of people and thought about thought about that experience outside of having just like kind of a meta like video game experience of being like, damn, it's kind of fucked up of them just like mowing people down. Like, sure, you know, like this actually yeah. did a good job of like telling you a story and allowing you to kind of imp- allow Captain Walker to like imprint on you in a weird way. Um, mm hmm mm-hmm the other the other actually one other thing I will say about it is that there's this mechanic called execute where when someone is down they you shoot someone they are not dead, they writhe around and will maybe like get start shooting you again, but you can go up to them and execute them, which is basically like there's like five or six different ways that you just like brutally at close range with either like your hands or the butt of your gun, like, kill a dude, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, I've played Mortal Kombat. I've, like, ripped out a dude's spine and, like, like punted them into, punted, like, their head into the air <laughs> or whatever. This is, like, pretty brutal. Like, the, the way that, like, your character executes another soldier is, like, it's no joke. Like, everything about this game was, like, really... um yeah it was it was it was a powerful powerful game
0: I mean it sounds it sounds visceral um I like I yeah I, I'm gonna pick this up um even though it is a couple years old now
1: yeah it's it was great. Do, do you want to talk about this war of mine or is it gonna take us
0: let's let's talk about it real quick because I think what's interesting about this war of mine is that it looks at war from the civilian perspective, right mm-hmm. like it is it is the idea of you are a civilian in the siege of Sarajevo. And it's, like, the survival slash sim mm-hmm. of, like, what is life like in a siege, right? Exactly. Uh, for, for, for the people who are not, like, who don't have the privilege of military logistics supporting them.
1: Exactly. So the game is, um, it came out in 2014. It was made by um, a Polish company, like you mentioned before. Oh, 11-Bit Studios, who also made Frostpunk. It's, it's based on the Siege of Sarajevo, but it actually takes place in a fictional city.
0: I mean, it, it strikes me that the idea of this war of mine is is about the human cost of war, right? Not about the less so about the cost to soldiers, because obviously, like, there's that that idea in warfare that like when soldiers kill soldiers, that's doing your job, mm-hmm. and when when civilians are harmed, that's sort of the collateral damage. But at the end of the day, like everybody knows that civilians pay the ultimate cost of any war. Exactly, you know, like the 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 soldier dead count a uh, uh, death toll will not ever approach the civilian death count in in any given conflict
1: exactly yeah yeah i mean this game i i think that like again like i'm so new to thinking about this which is like a little bit shameful but like this war of mine the gameplay loop is basically it's a day night cycle you control Three characters who are living in a makeshift shelter in this fictitious war torn city. And what you're doing is you're managing resources shelter, food, water, medicine, weapons but also you're managing, like, kind of the psychological or like emotional resources as well, such as like morale, hunger, injury, sickness, mm-hmm. um, sleep. And the three characters you're playing, they all kind of have different traits that are useful in different ways. There's one character who um, is a good cook and he uses less fuel and water when he's cooking. There is another character who is really good at scavenging. So when you go out at night to scavenge, you have a bigger backpack and you can take more items. And Like any game, this reminds me of, like, the very first time I played SimCity, which is, like, you're trying to balance so many things. You're trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, like, ending up – you're having your characters become sleep-deprived because you need them to stay awake and build things for the shelter. Or you're, like, depriving them of food because – you traded away your food for medicine because one of them is injured, or um you decide that you're so low on supplies that you're gonna steal from someone or maybe even kill someone. then their morale starts to dip, and so then then once their morale dips, they start to sort of lose hope and I actually I've done a few playthroughs that i the longest I've made it is day fifteen um, and apparently. I think I'm about in the game I'm playing I'm like twenty days from a ceasefire, and I just don't think I'm gonna make it that long i I do not think that i'll get I'll get past day like eighteen because <laughs> shit is already starting to go sideways, and like once one thing happens like once like one character gets like sick or injured and you don't have the resources to like make them well again it kind of th- then like then they can't help out in the house and then you start to be down resources right. it's like, it's like death spiral, you know right? exactly um i had actually in one of the playthroughs i did that lasted like three days i tr- i was like fuck it i'm gonna steal from someone and i'm gonna like kill from them and i'm gonna kill them and take all their shit which i did and then the person got so bummed out that did it that their morale dipped so low that they took their own life
0: wow holy shit yeah i mean we're we're laughing a little bit but i mean that's like that's that's not typical in a video game (laughs) like that's a that's a that's a cost
1: it's a cost and you know you you um you see what the characters are thinking and feeling. And when things are going okay, they'll say things like they'll eat a can of food and be like, you know, they say this food is nutritious even if it doesn't taste good. If their morale is really low and they eat that can of food, they'll be like, I wish we – all I want is a decent meal for once.' So it's sort of like um, the better things are going, the, the more likely they are to have a sort of like glass half full Um mm-hmm. Outlook. And then there, there's a bunch of other things too. There's like weather, there's crime, there's snipers, there's other NPCs. There's a lot of things to to, um, to um, contend with. And I have to say the only reason I made it to day 15 on this playthrough is that I, I Googled like tips for <sighs> this war of mine. And I found someone being like, here's what you should do if you want to not immediately shit the sure. bed. And so I did like those five things. And from there I was able to sort of like – figured out, but it, it's, it's, um, I mean, so what's the, the art? Sorry. Well, so
0: what's the, what's the message that you're taking away from this, right? Like wh- what is the game telling you through this experience? Cause I think that's what makes this an interesting game and not just, you know, the war aesthetic on whatever, you know, basic resource management game you have at the, at the core.
1: Yeah, totally. So actually what I meant to say at the very beginning is that the game starts with the quote in modern war, you will die like a dog for no good reason, which is an Ernest Hemingway quote, and I feel like Ernest Hemingway was saying that about being a soldier in a war. Um, uh, th- yeah, he served in I... World War One, right? That sounds right. Um, but and so it's 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 so interesting because when you apply that to this, this is about civilians, and they they do they die these like these terrible shitty deaths um, of. just lacking access to something that actually exists in abundance, like right outside the city walls Mm -hmm. or whatever, or like right in a building that they would otherwise have access to. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it made me think a lot. I mean, I hate to be like super shallow and be like, I never really thought about the civilian toll that war takes because like, of course I have thought about it, but this made me think much more deeply about it and and what it means to be a civilian in a war torn place which as someone who has grown up as a white person in the United States um of a certain like economic background i have to say like i have never um it's something i've only thought about in a very like remote way um and and the, this game is pretty immersive like you know you're making some hard choices and it it um it 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 especially especially because it's based on the siege of sarajevo was from 1992 to 1996 so that's like that's in my lifetime that was when i was in like junior high and high school yeah, no. and you know it, it this isn't like this is this is a game making you think about some like long ago terrible thing that doesn't happen anymore so it it just it made the the cost of war to civilians feel very 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 present mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, I don't want to end it on a bummer. <laughs> but I am I, I'll just say that I am glad that there are there are video games that are taking the subject and giving it that sort of um artistic treatment rather than kind of lifting the uh like convenient aesthetics, right? Um like the the jingoistic gun porn is fun for a multiplayer game I'm going to play for 200 hours on end, but like I I'm I'm glad that there are games that are giving um, sort of the same treatment of the subject matter that, like, books and television and and film give war, um, and, and sort of a more rounded view, I guess.
1: Absolutely, I I am really delighted to have spent some time playing games that made me feel like they really deepened my understanding of something important. Yeah, so.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking for it. I've got both of them on my list, so I will report back at, at some point.
1: Yes, please do. And if you get past day 15 on This War of Mine, I would like to know all your secrets. I might get
0: past day 15 playing The Witcher.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's talk about something more uplifting, uh, something we're excited about.
1: Okay, I'm going to keep with my theme of, like, war-esque shit. Okay. Um, I just finished the book The Spy and the Traitor, The Greatest es- Espionage Story of the Cold War by Ben McIntyre. Uh, Shane, did you watch The Americans? Uh,
0: I watched, like, uh, two seasons of it. It's on my list to get back into, and I, I just haven't gotten back around to it. I had to pay too much attention to it was the problem.
1: Yeah, it, it is true. You really do have to pay attention. So... This book is like reading, if you could read The Americans, that's what this okay. book is. Um, right, I'm
0: going to go pick it up then.
1: <laughs> it's so good. Oh my God. I mean, you have to, I will say that like just an asterisk for the fact that like what the author comes back to a lot is like the US and the UK rule and the USSR drools kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Um, It's just, it's very into how much better we are than the USSR, but it's about this spy named Oleg Gordievsky and he is this fascinating prolific spy who was born in the USSR and maybe I won't even say any more about it if you're going to read it cuz I don't want to spoil it but it's an absolute fucking page turner and I'm already reading uh I already started another book by the author about another Cold War era spy. So I'm like I'm in the I'm down the rabbit hole. I'm really committed.
0: All right. Cool. What about you? Uh I spent the past week reading three young adult novels that most people have probably already heard of uh but I had not uh called Red Rising okay. by uh Pierce Brown who um it's young adult in the um Hunger Games vein I think is probably but it's it's basically in like kind of the year 3000 or so um, we have colonized the solar system, but in order to do that, like through kind of a eugenics program, we have this color-based caste system. Um, so, red being the lowest color are like sort of the workers, um, and and this uh, individual is like uh, a miner on um, Mart on Mars, right? So he's the red on the red planet. Okay. Um, whereas gold is the highest, and they are like sort of the um, like very Greek and Roman cosplay, like noble class of, you know, perfectly beautifully engineered physical, you know, marvelous, physically marvelous specimens of humanity, um, right, who control everything. And, and it's all about the importance of, you know, order and hierarchy and, and sort of like sacrifice for humanity as a whole is what drives us forward uh and and prevents the chaos of democracy mm. um and then anyway so it's called red rising because of course the protagonist ventures out as a as a red to kind of flip the system on its end and, and sort of you know uh revolt against the the hierarchy and, and the society um so the first one has kind of a hunger games meets hogwarts kind of vibe nice. to it uh as he's uh gets the chance to like cosplay as a gold uh, and infiltrate their school um and then it's about the sort of the war that erupts after that after his sort of like elevation and um and you know how they kind of turn the society on its side so uh nice. it's an interesting series it gripped me for like a, a week straight i was just reading like you know 150 pages a day it's a young adult wow. novel so it's quick to read fair um, enough but you know it took over my uh took over my commute, so. It's a trilogy? It is a trilogy, and then there's actually two books after that that are kind of set like after like a 10-year ti- time skip, Um and I haven't started those yet because I wanted to finish my reread of The Black Company, <laughs> so. That's amazing, moved, okay. moved back to like, you know, book six of The Black Company now.
1: Awesome, okay. Uh Red Rising might have to go on my to-read list.
0: Yeah, well, now that you have your Kindle, uh, it's very easy to just download.
1: Let me tell you something. Let me just, sh- shout out to Kindle because... The spy and the traitor, there are so many. First of all, they're just words I don't know because this the writer is a very smart British man and he's just up here dropping $5 words.
0: Did not have that problem in young adults. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough.
1: But there's also a ton of uh, like Russian KGB agents that will be, and like uh, also Danish uh intelligence officers and stuff that'll be mentioned like early in the book and then they'll come back and i'm like who is this person kindle you press on it you highlight shows you who that character is when they came up brilliant what will they think of next i don't know nice (laughs) nice that's it we did it this has been episode two Yeah. Please rate us and review us uh, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is you are listening.
0: Uh, please follow us on twitter at co-op mood pod uh, with no punctuation or follow me shane uh, on twitter at mundangerous that's m-u-n dangerous
1: and you can follow me at sally t and you can also email us at co-op mood pod at gmail.com
0: and you can find us and other great gaming podcasts on the one shot network at oneshotpodcast.com shot <laughs> Co-op Mood is produced by Shane and Sally. Edited by Lucas. Our music is Pixel Squirrel by Espresso Music. Logo design by Emily Cardamus.